0: Welcome to the Story Night Podcast, a place where we share hearts, our hurts, and how God's wonder intersects with the story of our lives, a ministry of Calvary Mac. Here's our host, Jessica Campbell. Hi, ladies, and welcome back to the Story Night podcast. If you've been listening for a while, you have probably heard a handful of stories that touch on either infertility or adoption, sometimes miscarriage or loss. And in each of those episodes, you've probably heard me mention an organization called Sarah's Laughter. It's a faith based organization that does so much for women and men who are going through any of those journeys. Well, the creator and founder and just the queen of Sarah's Laughter, Beth. <laughs> and I have been trying to coordinate a time for her to share her story, her life story on this particular podcast, which is so exciting. And I'm so happy we finally pulled it together. And I I have to say, I feel a little like like the rookie in the room <laughs> because she has such an incredible podcast. And so it's it's such a joy to have a podcast host as a guest on this one. So Beth, thank you so much for agreeing to do this and for being flexible with me as we found a time to finally record this. So I wanted to let you before we dive into your story, I wanted to let you introduce yourself to the listeners and share a little bit of, of your life today. Obviously that includes Sarah's laughter and I know we'll we'll probably talk in more detail about that as we get into your story. but just yeah, what what is your life like today?
1: Oh, wow, what a loaded question. <laughs> well, thank you for letting me come on this on your podcast, Jessica. It is so hard for me to not just jump in and start saying, "Hey, everybody, this is Beth because that's kind of how I start our podcast. It's really fun to be on this side of the mic. You know, I usually have a a notebook in front of me with notes about my guest and and uh, questions that I want to ask, And I'm literally sitting here with a, a paper in front of me. So this is all this is all brand new to me. But uh, I sure appreciate you letting me come on your show and and give me a chance to share a little bit of my personal story this time. I know we've tried to do this for a really long time. And I just told you before we started, I'm so impressed with us that we finally pulled this thing together. <laughs> we did. <laughs> and we actually set a date and we actually pulled it off this time. So uh, I really appreciate you letting me come on your show today.
0: Absolutely. And we're in two different time zones. So before we, right? before even going into the beginning of your story, just real quick
1: for the listeners, where, where do you live and who do you live with? I live in Cajun country and I live with my family and two insane dogs. Um, (laughs) So I am from Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And if you have never come here, you haven't eaten right yet. Um, Come on down here because these crazy Cajuns know how to cook. They might eat things that you're scared to put in your mouth, but take a chance and come on down and and have some some crawfish or some boudin balls or something like that. (laughs) You might have to
0: explain for anyone who's never heard of those what those are.
1: (laughs) crawfish look like miniature lobsters. Um, people boil them and pour them out on picnic tables and w- they line them with uh, newspapers and pour these little things out on on the picnic table with potatoes and, and corn on the cob and it's very spicy and you stick this little thing that looks like a lobster in, into your mouth and you suck the juices out of them and you eat the tail meat and very cajun thing to do and boudin balls are fried balls of sausage and rice and and believe it or not people do eat alligator down here Um, (laughs) Louisiana when you visit Louisiana you don't just visit a state you visit a culture Uh and I wouldn't want to live anywhere else I'm a transplant I didn't grow up here but once I got here I decided to stay and uh, I wouldn't want to live my life anywhere else it's amazing. You know, I
0: have to tell you when when you and I were on speakerphone the other day I was at the the church and uh, my pastor walked down and he just was <laughs> shaking his head by the time we hung up he's like your southern accent comes out so much when you talk to someone. Else. <laughs> and I I mean, I don't think it I don't think it gets super strong, but I yeah, For listeners, if you have not heard me mention this before, my family is from Tennessee. And so when I have southern guests on the podcast, it's just it we just kind like of pull it out of me. you, don't we? Yeah. It's it's, it's it's southern comfort. I love it. Okay. Okay, we could go on so much before actually getting to where we're going. So, <laughs> let's start at the beginning of your story, Beth, because as I'm sure listeners have figured out, you you must have some kind of a passion for those who have gone through or who are currently going through infertility, adoption, even foster care, miscarriage, infant loss, and chances are there's going to be something in your story that's going to explain how this became such a passion project for you. But let's start at the beginning. And would you share your story with us?
1: It would be my honor to Jessica. Down here in Louisiana, I live with my husband and my miracle child, Lexi. I was a pastor's daughter and so we moved all over the United States my whole life we moved about every 2 years as daddy would get transferred from church to church and and different assignments within the church and to me that just felt normal I thought that's what everybody did I couldn't I could not understand somebody who went to the same school their whole life you know because I went to 11 different schools as I grew up by the time I was an adult I decided to go to LSU to get my master's degree and when I got down here I met the love of my life and I decided this moving every other year was for the birds and I decided to stay here <laughs> in this place that you know in this place with the man that stole my heart and we started our lives together here. And like everybody else does, you know, we we decided we were going to give it about a year and then we were going to decide to have a baby cuz that's what you do, right? And we were doing it right. We were doing it just right. I mean, we, we both graduated from college and our, our career kind of jobs and, and met and married and waited what we felt like was the appropriate length of time and decided that we were going to bring a baby into this world. And we'd have our boy first and then have our girl. And then we would, you know, decide on that third because we couldn't quite decide if we wanted two or three, you know, and because, you know, we, we were going to have that fairy tale. And Mm -hmm. we started trying to conceive and it just didn't happen, but that was okay. Cause sometimes it doesn't happen that first month. Right. Right. You know? And so we tried a few more months and I started getting real impatient because three months was just too long to wait for a baby. Mm -hmm. And uh, I started getting a little antsy and I knew I had a cousin that had had a, a little bit of trouble, well, kind of a lot of trouble. She had tried for about 10 years and about six weeks before we were married, she had lost a baby at about 20 weeks. And I knew that didn't have anything to do with me, but, it, but mm, I just didn't like remembering that as each month went past. So I decided I was going to go to the doctor and I told the doctor about that. You know, And I kind of mentioned it to her and kind of felt silly at the same time because I wasn't going to have a problem because that was just my cousin, But I thought I would mention it just being paranoid. And I I mentioned it to my doctor that my cousin had PCOS and that she had lost a baby. And I knew it didn't have anything to do with me because I wasn't going to have that problem. You see how I'm mentioning this over and over again. And I wasn't sure who I was going to convince, you know, if I was trying to convince the doctor (laughs) or me. But uh, that doctor told me if I had not conceived in six months to call her back, which Looking back, I believe that was nothing more than the hand of God, because most of the time, if you are under the age of 35, which I was, I need to wait to try for a year on your own. And she told me to call back in six months. I marked six months on my calendar. And when I was not pregnant in six months, I called her back. And she said, "Okay, Beth, why don't you come in and we'll just run some blood work and just just see what's going on, see if there's anything going on. And uh, I remember that they told me the day that the blood work would come in. And I wasn't going to wait for them to make a phone call to me, you know, because that would take too long. That might take till noon or something. And that was just waiting entirely too long. And so (laughs) I showed up at the doctor's office when I knew they opened. (laughs) Uh, I look back on this now and I wonder what what those nurses said about me when I, you know, when they put the phone down. (laughs) But I showed up at the office when I knew they opened. And uh, I remember, I don't, I, I think it's odd that I remember this so clearly, but I remember they told me to have a seat and i sat down in the waiting room and the news was on and i was watching the news while i waited on somebody and i remember thinking this day is either going to change my life or i won't even remember this day in 6 months and pretty soon the nurse came out to get me and she took me back in a hallway and you know how they have the the chairs set out for like they call you back and they'll get your vitals and they'll make you pee in a cup and Mm -hmm. and they sit you there before they take you back to the doctor's office. That's where she brought me. It wasn't, it wasn't an exam room and there was no privacy and there were pregnant women everywhere because you know, you how it is at a gynecologist office. And she sat me there and she said, this was a nurse. And she said, well, Beth, according to your test, you have PCOS. And I thought PCOS, that's, that's what my cousin had. And I said, well, what does that mean? And this nurse said, "What well, it means you don't ovulate. I said, but what, but what does that mean? Am I going to be able to get pregnant? And this nurse said, if you don't ovulate, you don't get pregnant. I mean, like I was irritating her and it was probably because I just showed up and did like I did. But I remember thinking without, without even the four walls of an exam room, to to give me privacy or anything. And with no hope delivered whatsoever, my dream of a family crashed at my feet, surrounded by pregnant women. And I didn't know what to do. And I thought, do I make, I, I, she didn't even tell me, look, call the doctor when you, you know, let's set up a consult with you or nothing. She said, if you don't ovulate, you don't get pregnant and you don't ovulate.
0: You know, I, I know a lot of listeners have, Experienced PCOS or Mm -hmm. they know somebody who has. Mm -hmm. Probably a lot of listeners have heard of -hmm. PCOS, even if they haven't experienced it or walked with somebody who has it. But for maybe for those who just heard this acronym and have absolutely no idea what you're talking about, could you paint a little bit of a picture? I mean, I know it can be so different. It's one of those things where it's not a one size fits all the diagnosis doesn't look exactly the same on one woman as another woman but generally what what did you learn about it and and maybe can it enlighten some listeners
1: PCOS is that stands for polycystic ovarian syndrome within this diagnosis there are like Jessica said a gazillion different symptoms a gazillion and every woman's diagnosis of PCOS looks differently uh, probably the hallmark of this diagnosis is infertility because uh, a woman with PCOS typically has multiple cysts on her ovaries. In fact, if you look on a, on an ultrasound, uh, they call this the string of pearls because the, there are so many cysts that it looks like a string of pearls. So some of my, my PCOS sisters are some of the most well-dressed in the infertility community because we never go anywhere without our string of pearls, is what we say. Um <laughs> But with this disorder, there are, like I said, infertility is your hallmark symptom. You have um, a lot of facial hair, weight gain, even acne, things like that. A lot of tags, believe it or not, is one of the symptoms of that. Uh, one thing that it does is it it really affects your body's ability to process insulin in your system. And so a lot of times doctors will even put you on a, on a diabetes drug to help you get that insulin regulated. But all of these things together your body doesn't ovulate. And so that was my issue is that I was not ovulating on my own. So all these months that we had been trying, it was in vain because I wasn't releasing the egg that a woman has to release in order to conceive a baby. And it was just fruitless. So at that point I thought mine was a hopeless case. I had not been educated on it. And all I knew was a cousin that had had it had tried for 10 years and could not conceive. And the one time she did conceive, she lost the baby at 20 weeks. And so to me, that was my future. And I didn't know what to do. I was beyond devastated. I remember I went to my husband's office after that, and he knew I was going to find out results of a blood test that day. And I remember I walked into his office, and he looked up at me. And when our eyes met He knew something was wrong, and he started getting up, and I I just looked at him, and I said, I have that stupid, and I couldn't get the word disease out of my mouth, and I fell against the wall, and my knees gave way, and I just started sliding to the floor, and that was the beginning of our infertility journey. Literally, I did not know what to do, because I really sincerely at that moment believed I would never be a mother. You just
0: said a word. That probably not a lot of people would associate with infertility. You said disease. Mm -hmm. And I imagine most listeners don't put those two together. They wouldn't think that that's a disease. Mm -hmm.
1: But it is. It's absolutely a disease. There is a a medical diagnosis that you use for insurance billing and everything else, just like you do any other disease of the human body. Uh, and, And it's just flat out infertility has been recognized as a disease by, by the American Medical Association. It used to not be, but it is now. Mm-hmm. Infertility is a medical issue. It's not that a couple is impatient. It's not that you you have bad timing. It's not that you're ungrateful for what you have.
0: Mm-hmm. Or that it, you just need to relax it, or go on vacation. Or It
1: is a medical disease. <laughs> So
0: here you are with your husband.
1: Mm -hmm. We were basically still newlyweds at this point.
0: Facing a future you never saw coming.
1: Never in a million years. My mother was one of six sisters and all, all seven of them all had multiple children. So I had cousins coming out of the woodwork. I mean, you know, and I was the baby of, I was the baby of the baby of seven siblings. So I had cousins who were grandparents at this point there were people all over everywhere that came from the same dna pool that i did you know and i'm not seeing i'm not seeing empty nurseries in my family tree anywhere and here i stood and i'll tell you the first thing i did i mentioned a few minutes ago that daddy was a pastor and i remember we went to church that next sunday dying <laughs> when i say dying i mean dying I was the I, I was the music pastor at that time. And so my job is to get up and lead people in worship. And I could barely stop crying at this point. And I remember there was an altar service at the end of that service that Sunday. Me and my husband went down to the altar that, day, that Sunday. And Daddy pulled us in close because he was being my daddy and he was being my pastor. And he knew what was happening. We told them. And Daddy said, Beth, God is the giver of life not the doctors, not the medicine, but God is the giver of life. And we're turning this over to him. And I'm so glad he did that to me because at that moment I was so full of emotion that I could, I still couldn't think straight, you know, and there's sometimes when we face whatever trial it is, whatever hurt it is, our emotions can overwhelm, but you know, faith and feelings are two different things. And sometimes my emotions can scream out at me that God has abandoned or God has failed or he doesn't care or he is absent. But my faith has to grasp onto the the reality of who God is. And in that moment, I don't know that my faith was standing as strong as my emotions were. And I needed somebody to speak that truth over me at the beginning of that battle. You know, and daddy kind of pulled us back to, to center when it came to our faith. And I'm so glad he did because it got a lot it got a lot tougher before it got a lot better. From there we started, you know, my gynecologist did a few things with us, not a whole lot, not any treatment or anything. She gave us some meds and we started trying, you know, with some medications that would help me to ovulate. But she tested my tubes and my tubes were fine and once that happened, she said, "Beth, this case is beyond what I can do for you." This was a a pivot point in our story. She sent us to a reproductive endocrinologist, a fertility specialist. And, you know, at this point in my life, I thought you just went to a specialist when things were terminal. (laughs) I thought anybody who went to a specialist was going to die because I'd never been sick. I'd never gone to the doctor for anything. I'd never even had the flu. And so, you know, sending me to a specialist was like, okay, this is a bigger deal than what I thought it was. But meeting this doctor was a game changer for us, not just in our fertility journey, but in our life story too. She sent us to a fertility specialist named Dr. Bobby Webster. Dr. Webster diagnosed me with more diseases. So before I got, before my story ended as far as being a fertility patient, I was diagnosed not only with PCOS, but also with endometriosis and also with pelvic adhesions. And so every, everything that I could stack against me in this story was getting stacked against me. And I'll be honest with you, Jessica, I was raised a pastor's daughter. And I was in church every single time the doors opened, and most of the time when they weren't, because <laughs> we were always at the church. And I was, you know, I taught Sunday school from the time I was 16. And I was in every youth group meeting and I was at church every single Sunday because daddy was a pastor. And half the time, daddy would get so excited about his sermons, you know, that he was preparing for Sunday that we'd hear him two and three times at, ch- at home <laughs> before Sunday ever got there. So I, I heard every sermon that he ever preached and I had, you know, a Bible in every color so it would match my clothes that I could take church. To Sunday. <laughs> you know, I mean... <laughs> You know, I, I was out. I, you know, how the, the kind of the, the joke is that preacher's kids are either your really best kids or your really worst kids. I was yeah. one of the good ones. I never, I didn't know how to rebel. I, you know, just, yeah. I, and I would, I found myself giving God my spiritual resume. Right. It's like, why are, why are you doing this to me? Why, why won't you just let us have a baby? You know, there's so many and you could do this. Why aren't you letting us have? A we just want a baby. We just want one. You know, and Jason had basically the same spiritual resume. He he wasn't a preacher's kid, but he may as well have been. You know, his parents brought him up in church the same way mine did. And, you know, we both went to Christian colleges, for heaven's sakes. We mm-hmm. both have minors in Bible. You know, I mean, yeah. it's like, God, seriously, how can you do this and stand on your word that says that, you know, that a child is a reward? Mm-hmm. How, that doesn't line up. God, I mean, what, what's your deal? (laughs) I don't, I don't get it. You know, this very sweet woman that was a, you know, Christian woman came up to me and talked to me about how infertility was a curse. But the good news is Jesus breaks all curses. And she meant it as encouragement. And I went home that day and I'm like, why am I cursed? Yeah, I don't believe that now. But in that moment, when I was hurting and confused and, and afraid It's like, why am I cursed? So our journey lasted for quite a while. And we went through a lot of shots and pills and really uncomfortable conversations at a doctor's office. And I ended up having surgery a few times. And there were a lot of questions. But you know what, Jessica, it was in in those moments in those, you know, months and a couple of years that, that we were trying to conceive that I got to know Jesus in a real way because Growing up in a pastor's home, especially the pastor that I was born to, (laughs) daddy was a real pastor. He loved people and good night. He loved Jesus. And he, yeah, I live living in the deep South. Football is a religion down here. But the way people talk about football down here is how daddy talked about Jesus. You know, he talked about him openly and freely and, you know, the big foam fingers that people have at football games. Daddy, would, if they would have had one that said Jesus, Daddy would have walked around town with it. I mean, he, he loved Jesus. He was open about it. He always had his Bible out. He talked about it. And, man, he had such a passion for the Word of God. It was, you know, you could almost pick at him about it. You yeah, know, he didn't care because <laughs> he, you know, he was open with it. But because he was so open with it, I didn't have to do a lot of searching. I didn't have to do a lot of digging for myself. And I'm not saying not one negative thing about growing up in that household. I think I would love for everybody I know to grow up in a household like I grew up in. But I didn't have to dig a lot. (laughs) I didn't have to intentionally listen to worship music because it was playing all the time. I didn't have to make the decision to go to church because it was pretty much made for me. (laughs) You know, I didn't have to intentionally... Keep the word of God in front of me because it was kept in front of me all the time. And when infertility hit, I had to start digging on my own. I had to start praying about different things. I had to start trusting God for something that affected me, not my whole family. I don't know if that makes sense to people, but I got to know Jesus in a different way, in a more intimate way than I had my whole life. And what I found out was that God loved me more than I had any concept because I started reading through scriptures. And the first thing I did was look for infertility in the scriptures and look for couples in scripture that went through it, you know, and I started really reading about Abraham and Sarah and I started really reading about Hannah and I started really reading about, about Elizabeth and Zacharias and I'm reading about Elizabeth and it says that she was righteous and blameless and barren and i start reading about hannah and her story and i see no mention of punishment anywhere there i don't see where she did anything wrong and i started thinking well maybe i didn't do anything wrong either you know maybe i'm not cursed maybe god can still use me despite the fact that like hannah my womb is closed and I started digging through scriptures and finding these things out and I began to learn how to search scriptures for myself in a way I never had before because during infertility that was my lifeline I had to do it or I was going to I didn't know if I was going to be able to breathe anymore and I learned how to really trust God when things absolutely made no sense when I knew I was pregnant after that one treatment. And my doctor even told me he was pretty sure this was it. And then it came down that I was not pregnant and we were running out of options and we didn't know what to do anymore. I learned how to trust the God who for a time said no. And that was a lesson that I would need later on. But eventually my miracle came And, you know, I remember it was on a weekend and we were at my parents' house and we were about an hour and a half away from home. And I realized that uh, it was time to take a pregnancy test to show you how how churchy we are. I was scared to take a pregnancy test in the the morning because when you're going through infertility, Jessica, you know what day to take a pregnancy (laughs) test. (laughs) And this day happened to fall on a Sunday. And I needed to take a pregnancy test. And I was 30 minutes away from a Walmart. So I left in the middle of a... Ch- I, remember I told you I was a music pastor? <laughs> As soon as the last song was sung on that Sunday morning, or that Sunday, it was a Sunday night service. As soon as the last song was sung on that Sunday night service, me and my sister got in the car and ran to Walmart as fast as we could, 30 minutes away, and grabbed a pregnancy test and got back to the church in time for me to run up on the stage and lead the music at the end of the service. Oh my gosh. I'm not kidding. (laughs) Well, it only made sense because half of my shots that I had to take, I would take in daddy's office. And I always got tickled because I thought if anybody walked in and saw the pastor's daughter shooting up in the pastor's (laughs) office, I always thought, you know, what in this world would they think? Because I didn't tell my story while we were going through it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but anyway, so we ran to Walmart, got back as fast as we could. I ran up on stage and did the music at the end of the service and waited for everybody to leave and went in the bathroom and took the pregnancy test at the church. And it was negative. And I said there I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. What? And so I went and, you know, found my, I found my husband. I told him it was negative again. And I it was like, no, this time I knew it was I knew it was positive. And then I realized I just left a pregnancy test in the bathroom at the church. I should probably go get that <laughs> and wrap it up and put it in my purse and take it <laughs> home with me because that might rouse some suspicions too. And so I went back in the bathroom and, and I, I was just going to get a paper towel and wrap it up and, and take it home with me, really, because if you, if you don't leave pregnancy tests in a church bathroom. And uh, when I picked it up out of the trash, I saw the faintest line on there. And what was funny is my sister had followed me in there because my sister was kind of the one I talked to all the time. And she saw me pick it up, and I'm just standing there looking at it. And she walked around, and she looked at it, and I'm like, I think I see a line. She said, Beth, there's lines there. And I'm standing there looking at a positive pregnancy test in the bathroom of the church after everybody had gone. And Jason knew I was going in there, and they were they both thought I was falling apart. So they both followed me into the bathroom at <laughs> church and – Jason looked at it and he said, well, what does that mean? Just like that, just no emotion. What does that mean? And I said, well, I guess it means I'm pregnant. And he just went, hmm. <laughs> and we just kind of stood there and looked at each other like this was an everyday occurrence. Like, what does that mean? Well, I guess we're out of bread. I mean, we had no more emotion than that. And we just kind of stood there and looked at it. And I think after the years of trying and the, everything we had been through at this point, we didn't quite know what to, we just kind of went, hmm. And we kind of stayed in that fog for about two days. <laughs> you know, it didn't quite, it was like, what's happening now? You know, and after everything we had been through trying to get pregnant, it was like we could, our minds couldn't comprehend it. And I remember we told mother and daddy and they started screaming and yelling and their dog started running and barking and yelling. And Jason and I were just kind of standing there like, what now? You know, <laughs> and so, you know, we ha- finally did that. And I think we didn't feel it. We didn't act like we had experienced, you know, this amazing life change until we got to the doctor's office and told them. And we walked in the door without an appointment again. I know doctor's <laughs> offices hate me, but I just, we just walked in and the receptionist looked at me and said, Beth, you don't have an appointment because when you'd been there as much as we had, everybody in the office knows you and they know when you're supposed to be there and stuff. And I just looked at her and I said, we took a test. And that was all I said. And when I did, she started screaming and she yelled for Dr. Webster and Dr. Webster came to the waiting room and slapped Jason on the back and said, get back here and let's draw some blood. And, the, you know, he's slapping Jason on the back and the receptionist started crying and the phone rang and she picked up the phone and she was like, thank you for calling. I'll just have to call you back and hung up on her cuss on her patient. And, you know, and I remember when she did that, I started laughing. And that was like the first emotion that we kind of allowed ourselves to feel. But once we started allowing ourselves to get excited because when you go through all this it's hard for you to get excited because you're so afraid that you could lose this baby it's the craziest feeling because it's not you don't react like you think you will mm-hmm. but we went through a a beautifully perfect pregnancy I people probably thought I was vain because every time I walked in front of a mirror I'd stick my belly out and look <laughs> and grin like a Cheshire cat and Uh, We had literally 24 hours of a problem when my heart went ballistic and uh, I ended up in ICU for a night. But other than that, uh, we delivered a beautifully healthy baby girl who is almost 21 years old now. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And I have had the privilege of sharing her story with her and telling her, you know, that if you ever doubt God's ability to perform the miraculous, honey, all you got to do is look in the mirror. Because mm-hmm. had there not been a miraculous healing touch on my body, you wouldn't be here. And so uh, telling her the story of infertility, I think, is faith building to her. Because mm-hmm. she knows, she knows she would never have been here. Right. But from all of that.
0: <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, it's, you know, you could think this is the end of the story, but it's not.
1: <laughs> right. And believe it or not, that was a much condensed version. <laughs> Because I know I can, if you ask me to talk about infertility, I can talk a really long time. And so I'm really trying to not take advantage of your listener's time. After that, we tried a second time and it did not work. Uh, We may as well have given my dog shots because it, it had no effect on my body this time around. And we tried to adopt and every door we knocked on got closed hard and fast. And so we just came to the realization that God's plan for us was a family of three. And we were content with that. We, we, we did. We became content pretty quickly with that. But while we were still trying to conceive a second time, I got almost hateful about infertility. <laughs> I didn't want to talk about it. I knew, we, I knew we had to do what we had to do as far as trying to conceive. But if you tried to talk to me about infertility, I would not be rude to you, at least not intentionally. But I would change the subject in a heartbeat. And if you were going through it, I'm so sorry for you, but I'm 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 done with all this. So I, I guess technically this is after we had tried whatever, but I'm done. I paid my time, I paid my dues and and did my time, and I am done. And I wouldn't mean to be rude to you, but I wasn't getting in it. I wasn't talking about it. I cried my tears, you know. <laughs> I laid on the bathroom floor and wept through the night so that I wouldn't wake my husband up while he slept. I'm not going back there. And if it came on TV, I'd turn the TV off or change the channel or something. I was done. It hurt me too deeply. It wounded me too badly. I have my miracle baby. Thank you, Jesus, and I'm done. Don't
0: you love when we tell Jesus when we're done? You can just picture him laughing like, yeah, no, you're not done.
1: (laughs) He was probably thinking, hold on just a second. (laughs) You know, and I kind of laugh hearing me say that because I almost feel like I'm talking about somebody else. (laughs) But if I, I mean I can't stress to you how much i I was done with this whole thing. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't well, I, I for mean, anybody who knows you now <laughs> and who didn't know you then, they're
0: they're probably thinking like no, that's probably thinking it's hard I'm to hateful. imagine you ever like that.
1: <laughs> they're probably thinking I'm hateful too, the way I'm telling you this, but I meant it. I was I didn't want I didn't want to hear about your your follow stem. I didn't want to hear about your Goliath. I didn't want to hear about your clomid. I no, go put it in your own cabinet. I don't want to know. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. <laughs> I mean, I'm mean <laughs> i
0: giggling. And yet, and yet there's so many people, right, with whether it's infertility or something else, they have a horrible traumatic or it's, it, they have a crisis. They have like something a, in there
1: and they don't ever want to, they don't ever want to relive it. It's like you have PTSD after it.
0: Uh-huh.
1: And I'm not kidding. I mean, it it's like anything. you have PTSD. And it's just like, you just, it hurts so bad. I just can't go back there. You know, because when I kind of briefly said, I was, I've put my time in on the bathroom floor. I mean that. I remember I would wake up in the middle of the night sobbing. Because I wanted this baby so bad and she just wasn't coming. And the medicines they would put you on would give you these wild mood swings, you know, and cause you to be so depressed on top of your circ- circumstantial depression. And you're just so discouraged. And so, I mean, infertility is hard, it is so much harder than you think it is. And if any of your listeners have anybody in their lives going through this, please take it seriously. Mm-mm. But there was even a time, and I want to get off the my personal infertility story, but if anybody is listening and you have a loved one who's going through this, love them through this. And if they sound crazy, it's because they feel crazy. You know, especially if they're on medicines and stuff, these medicines make you feel like you're losing your mind. I remember one particular month that I knew I was pregnant. I knew I was. My numbers were great. The doctor was encouraging. We thought, okay, this is finally it. And I started another cycle and it was devastating. And that same day I found out somebody else was pregnant who didn't want to be. And their family was griping and complaining. And man, it did me in. And I remember I just got in my car and just started driving. I just started driving and I was sobbing while I'm driving too fast down a country road. And I was banging my fist on my steering wheel so distraught and crying out to God and bussing and, God, why are you doing this? And I'm screaming at the top of my lungs in my car, banging my fist on a steering wheel and lost control of my car and almost went head on into a tree. And I remember it scared me to death and I stopped my car and got control. And I remember thinking I'd have been okay with that. And I remember telling my sister about it and she said, Beth, None of us would have thought that was an accident.
0: Wow. Well,
1: That's what infertility can do to you.
0: So appreciate you mentioning, not just for women who might be in the middle of it right now, but for those who love somebody who might be in the middle of it mm-hmm. right now. And we're going to kind of circle back to this, but you just, uh, this is such a good moment to point this out. We're gonna get to the part in your story where you f- make a complete turnaround and little are, bit. <laughs> and just you know, are basically a crusader for helping other women and other couples who are who are struggling in this way. but and one of those one of those ways, as we mentioned at the beginning is that you do host your own podcast where women um, and sometimes men share their personal stories. It's it's a very similar format to the Story Night podcast, mm-hmm. but it's specific to adoption and infertility and miscarriage, whereas this one is for all stories. So for those of you listening who are suffering right now through that, you are going to want to follow all the stories on the Sarah's Laughter podcast. And for those of you who are aren't experiencing it, but you know somebody who is, maybe it's your daughter or your daughter-in-law or your sister-in-law or your best friend or, and you really have no idea what she's going through or how to help her. It could actually be hugely beneficial for you to tune in to something that Beth is doing with Sarah's laughter because it will, it so helps to understand the diagnosis. Please listen.
1: Even if I drive you crazy, please <laughs> because if you if somebody you love is going through this you need to listen because if you have not gone through infertility yourself you have no idea you have no idea the the torment that they go through
0: and that's really i mean that that's a truth that can kind of go to anything. You know, if if you know somebody who got diagnosed with cancer and you've never experienced cancer, gosh, there's so many ways for you Mm -hmm. to come alongside that person and try and understand their world Mm -hmm. and love them through Mm -hmm. it, just like you said, love them through it. And and it could be any number of things. Uh, It doesn't even have to be health-related. If somebody, Mm -hmm. I don't know, has to declare bankruptcy or if there's a divorce or any other Mm -hmm. trauma or crisis that happens in your life that you don't personally understand, you can still be that incredible
1: sister to somebody absolutely it'll help you know how to pray for them it'll help you know what things not to say for the love of god and everything don't tell them to relax or they can have another or you know have you prayed about it have you can yes they have you know but these things can help you know what to do and what not to do but so anyway, yeah, my story changed a little bit.
0: Yes. So let's get, how did we, how did we get you? How did we get you from this near death car accident with a tree to the creator, founder of Sarah's Laughter. And I know there's more oh. to your story besides Sarah's Laughter, but I definitely want yes. to make sure we explain to listeners um, how you took this turn.
1: <laughs> so we had decided to go to the beach one weekend. It's just the three of us. Uh, Lexi was probably about four at this time. And we've gone to the beach and we were on our way home. And I could take you to the spot in Foley, Alabama, where we were. Um, I feel like they need to put a little plaque up on the side of the road. Sarah's Laughter was birthed here, but they won't let me do that we are in foley alabama we were stopped at a red light and lexi was about three or four she's in her car seat and she's playing with her stuff everybody's happy all is right with the world and this is still back in my you know don't tell me about your clomid you know turn the channel if it comes on tv days and i thought everybody's happy jason's awake Lexi's playing she said I'm gonna take a nap I never gonna take a nap I'm gonna take a nap and so I leaned my head against the window of the car I was not asleep I had just barely leaned my head against the window and all of a sudden in a flash um, and I've never experienced anything like this before or since God deposited something inside of me like that where he gave me every word on every page of a book that he would have me to write called Baby Hunger. I wasn't thinking about infertility. Remember, I didn't care about infertility anymore. And in that moment, a scorching hot passion for women going through infertility filled me from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet. And the thought of a woman walking through infertility by herself nauseated me with a holy nausea, is there such a thing, where I cannot... I can't bear that thought and it has never left. And I remember sitting at that red light. I shot up in my seat like I had just been electrocuted or something. And I looked at my husband, really funny, I guess almost to see if what, did he get that too or what? And I looked at him and I said, I need a pen and some paper. (laughs) I'm going to make myself sound so crazy right now. I, I looked at him and I said, I need a pen and some paper. And he said, I don't have a pen and paper. I said, no, I need a, I need a pen and some paper. And he said, Beth, I'm driving the car. I said, Jason, I need a pen and some paper. And, and I wanted to write down what God had just dumped in my brain before I lost it. I didn't want to lose it because I knew something significant was happening. And he's like, I'm driving. What do you want me? I don't have a pen and paper. And I started, we had a little trash can in there because we had a, a little one with us. And so there's always a, pound and a half of trash flying around I grabbed that trash can and dumped it upside down and started finding napkins and receipts out of that trash can and I started writing the manuscript to baby hunger on the back of dirty napkins and receipts and we were about four hours away from home and so for the next four hours I wrote the manuscript to that book on the back of dirty napkins and receipts all the way home and Jason would say, What are you doing? I'm like, I'll tell you later. And I'm just steadily writing and writing and writing all the way home. He thought I had lost my mind because I wouldn't answer him. I am digging. I'm looking at her, I'm looking at her Lexi's car seats. I'm looking for color pages. I'm looking for anything I can write on to get that, to get those words out of my head before I lost them because I was so afraid I would forget what they were. And from that moment on, I could not not do something. And that is really when Sarah's laughter was birthed with the, the almost like the downloading in my mind of the, of that book, baby hunger from there, I didn't really know what to do with it. And so I went home and talked to daddy about it and said, what do you think I should do? And he said, let's do a conference. I said, okay, didn't morning know what I was doing that I knew how to fly, but I went to daddy, uh, was retiring at that point, so we had started going to a different church because he wasn't pastoring anymore, and I went to the pastor of the church where <laughs> where we were attending, and I told him, I said, I'd like to do a conference. I said, we went through infertility, and I think I would like to do a conference. He was like, okay. I was like, okay. I didn't know what we were going to do, honestly. We had no idea. We were so flying by the seat of our pants. It was kind of funny, but we just knew we had to do something. And so, he gave us um, some space at the church to do a conference, and about thirty-five people showed, which we were thrilled with because we didn't we didn't know what we were doing. So we had a conference with about thirty-five people, and we did breakout sessions. And I did I was like a keynote because I was the only person I knew to get to speak. And every speaker at this conference were my family members because I didn't know who to get to come do anything. But every family member that I got to speak had a different last name. So we just didn't mention that we were all family. But that was our first Sarah's Laughter event was that conference. And it was kind of funny because I thought it was a one and done. I thought we would just do that. And that was really cool. And that was nice. That was fun. And I remember we did it on a Saturday night. And it was at the church. And so I was needing, I told the pastor, we'd make sure everything was put back and everything was good for service the next morning and nobody would leave. None of the 35 people who showed up, none of those women would leave. And I kept looking at my husband. And I'm like, they've got to go home. We've got to get everything cleaned up and put back for service. None of them would go home. And they just kept sitting there and sitting there. And it was like the first support they had ever found. And so we just all started chatting and talking and listening and stuff. And they started talking about how badly they needed a support group so that they could have this all the time. And, you know, I had had a background in mental health and I had done a lot of support groups before when it came to other topics. And, you know, they're talking about needing a support group. And I just looked at the woman talking and I said, well, start one. And I meant, you know, if you want a support group that bad, go start one. So I said, just start one. And she looked at me and her face lit up and she said, you will? And I thought, (laughs) I thought, hey, me, not me, I meant you. (laughs) You know, I wasn't offering, I was telling you to. But her face lit up and she said, you will? And she turned around to the other women who were still in the room and she said, hey, Beth's going to start a support group. And I thought, this is getting out of hand really fast. (laughs) And so within a month, I had a bunch of women meeting at my house every two weeks for a Sarah's Laughter support group meeting. And that was in 2004. And now there's support groups all over the the country uh, with Sarah's Laughter support groups. And in fact, we just, just this week are working on about three more new ones. That was the whole way Sarah's Laughter got started. It was kind of an accident. We just thought we'd just do a conference because we thought that's what we needed to do and and just kind of made it up as we went with, you know, all my family members and speakers and and accidentally started a support group. And that was really how it began. And it's grown from that to having having support groups all over the nation. And we've done fun runs where we've given away. I forgot how many IVF cycles we've been blessed to give away because of the amazing fertility specialist in Baton Rouge who gave them to us to give away and doctors also in Shreveport, Louisiana, and in Nashville. And they would give them away to us to give away. Isn't that something? Isn't that God's hand on a doctor to hand me a twenty thousand dollar cycle just to Uh give away? And we've had, you know, 18 or more babies born from those giveaways. Uh And God has blessed us to be able to give away $10,000 grants for infertility or adoption costs. And, you know, we have a podcast now, like you've mentioned, Jessica, that literally reaches around the world to countries that the gospel cannot get into. But because it's an infertility podcast, they let it in. They don't listen to it, so they don't realize it's the gospel being presented. And so that makes me grin real big all the time. We've been able to do conferences that are a lot more than 30 people, with my family members speaking at it, and you know, God has just blessed it all over the place. And God's been good, and I wouldn't trade my infertility journey for anything, not for anything. If you told me I could go back and have a face-to-face conversation with my 27, 28 year old self, you know, if mm-hmm. I if if I could go back and talk to God. Back then, and he would give me the same child and do it without infertility, I would beg him not to take this away from me because of the changes that he made in me through the journey and because of the opportunity we've had to minister to so, so many people. So, so many people.
0: It is incredible. And I know our church has been, just was so thrilled to connect and Mm -hmm. to have resources available. It's an honor to... Mention Sarah's laughter every time the topic comes up in one of the that. Story Night stories because it's it, it is it's a very common story and mm-hmm. they aren't alone.
1: No, not at all. Actually, the statistics are kind of mind-boggling. Uh, one in eight couples of of childbearing age in the United States go through infertility, which is the same prevalence as breast cancer, by the way. One in four confirmed pregnancies ends in loss, and so I can guarantee you if you don't fit within those numbers yourself, you know somebody who does. Mm
0: -hmm. You had mentioned something that I think is very profound. And I I imagine that even if women have never experienced infertility or adoption, that they could connect with this point that you made earlier on, where in going through this trauma, you met Jesus in a way you never had Mm -hmm. before. And that you wouldn't trade that. And that that was actually Mm -hmm. going to prepare you for other things in your life. I mean, it's certainly, obviously, God did an incredible work with your story, even though you suffered, he took that suffering. And oh my gosh, look at what's happening now with Mm -hmm. all the support and the help for so many people. The growth in your relationship that came from that, did that end up affecting any other of your life chapters that maybe weren't related to fertility?
1: It absolutely did, and in a way that I didn't foresee. My family is complete, and so that part of infertility is done. But the effects of infertility are still there. God taught me things in infertility's classroom that I needed. (laughs) Lord knows I needed them for, for what I was going to face after infertility. I thought the lessons he taught me there were to get me through infertility but he knew what was coming. He knew the next few chapters of my life and he knew what I needed to get through those. You've heard me mention daddy a lot because he was a, he was a powerhouse. He was my biggest cheerleader. And and when we when we first started Sarah's Laughter, goodness, he was so excited about it because I think he thought I was going to single-handedly end the trauma of infertility in this world. Not the not the physical part, but I think he thought I was going to reach every infertile woman on this planet and you know bring her to Jesus by myself. He was so thrilled with it. And he he had told me so many things that, you know, he had been such a people person, pastor for so many years, but he never realized the trauma of infertility until I went through it. And he would find me weeping through the night in his den when he would get up to pray for his people. And he said it changed how he pastored and, and all of these things. And, you know, everywhere he would go when he would preach, he would talk about infertility because he realized then that so many people in the audiences were going through it and, and all of these things. But shortly after we kind of launched Sarah's Laughter, Daddy started struggling and he would forget things. And long story short, we realized that Daddy had Alzheimer's. And I watched this powerful man dissolve right in front of my eyes. Daddy was the kind who never met a stranger. He And I've said a hundred times he was my biggest cheerleader in every ministry aspect of my life. And he would pray for me and take part in everything we ever did. I watched him go into foreign countries from the time he was a young man when people didn't travel the globe like they do now. I remember him going into a prison to do a a service with some inmates, and he pushed through the crowd with the, the guards losing their minds and about, you know, scared them to death because he went where he was not supposed to go because God directed him to a young man who was about to attempt to take his own life. You know, somebody who wasn't scared of anything. And now I was having to help him step off of a curb from a sidewalk with tears in his eyes and he was begging me not to let him fall because he was so scared to step off a curb. You know, I had to help him dress. I had to sometimes, there were times that I had to even help him eat. You know, there were times I had to tell him who his grandchildren were and I watched him just fade away. That was such a profound loss, not just losing him and losing his impact you know, his impact on this world and on our family and knowing that my miracle child was really her only memories are of Papa with Alzheimer's, which breaks my heart to this moment. But losing him every time I have ever Stood on a field at Baby Steps, which is the run that I was talking about where we give away, you know, IVF cycles and the $10,000 grants. And it's such amazing moments that God has given us. And we'll have 1,500, 2,000 people there supporting those going through infertility. And it's such, a, ugh, it's such an amazing moment. But every single one we've ever done, there's always at least one moment where my eyes puddle and breath kind of catches because I know Daddy Ruth loved it so much. And he never got to see one. You know, and we prayed, God, please don't let this be Alzheimer's, but it was, and we buried that great man in the ground, and I was very privileged to be holding his hand when he took his last breath, and Alzheimer's had to release him, and that was such a devastating loss. That was hard, and about six months after Daddy died, we started noticing the signs in Mother. And she was grieving so hard. They had been married 61 years, and she didn't know what to do without him. And Mama was mama was struggling with some physical issues anyway. She had normal pressure hydrocephalus, so she ended up having a couple of brain surgeries. And God love her, she struggled so much physically. And then about six months after Daddy died, we started seeing signs of dementia in her too. And about three years ago, we put my mother in the ground with the same thing that took my daddy. Well, I take that back. Daddy died with Alzheimer's. That's not what what took his life. But we put her in the ground with Alzheimer's as well. And when Daddy died, Daddy actually died from a cerebral aneurysm that ruptured. And that's what actually took his life. Well, about three weeks after Daddy died with a cerebral aneurysm on a fluke, I found out I had the same kind of aneurysm in my brain. I went to go get medicines for my... migraines. I've had migraines my whole life. And I found out three weeks after Daddy died at Christmas time. so let's throw that in there too, that I had the same kind of aneurysm that killed Daddy. And so while I'm trying to figure out what in the world do I do about this aneurysm, do I have brain surgery or do I let it just sit there? What do I do with this? On the anniversary of Daddy's death, the week of the anniversary of Daddy's death, I had a stroke. And I'm trying to take care of Mama who's Exhibiting some of the same symptoms of daddy's Alzheimer's. And it got really hard. <laughs> and a couple years after that, I'm not telling you just a sob story to tell you a sob story, but I want to tell you this because those lessons that I learned in infertility that God is faithful. He's faithful when you hurt, He's faithful when you question His goodness. He's faithful when you don't know what in this world you're going to do. Those lessons that I learned in infertility, friend, I was drawing on those so heavy when mother and daddy didn't know who I was. I could draw on those same lessons because God was faithful to me during Alzheimer's. God was faithful to me when I sat in a doctor's office during my infertility days. and God was faithful to me when I sat in that doctor's office with a stroke and with an aneurysm. God was faithful to me then. God was faithful to me when he said no about a baby. And God was faithful to me when he, when I begged him to heal mother and daddy, earth side. And he said, no, I'll heal them in eternity. And he has. And I don't know that I would have, that I could have known these things as surely as I do had God not walked me through infertility as sweetly as he did i didn't appreciate it at the time but what in the world would i do without it now in a few years ago after mother and after daddy died before mother did that miracle baby that i've told you about had a catastrophic illness and we ended up being airlifted to texas children's hospital which is a was another God's sin, and there's so many glimpses of God's hand in her story. And uh, hers was a horrifying case, and we literally got assigned to the head of every department at Texas Children's. And once again, in, that, in those those weeks that we were in the hospital, not knowing if my miracle baby was going to survive once more again, God is faithful. From my infertility days, I knew. God was faithful. God can work miracles in this child, just like he did in her conception and in her birth. God is faithful. He's strong. God didn't leave me when I got angry with him because my miracle child was dying, just like he didn't didn't leave me when I got angry when he wouldn't let me conceive for a time. All these lessons that God taught me in that infertility classroom have been what I had to have when I walked through other dark seasons of my life. You know, and just like I believe God celebrated with us when Lexi was born, I believe he has celebrated with us as she has recovered. And she's healthy. And just today, she was serving. This is a weekend that we're recording on. Yesterday she served single moms at our church and today she served 2-year-olds at our church teaching in their class at Sunday on Sunday. And I believe God celebrates with those things too. So I believe he's with us in that pain just like he promises to be near the brokenhearted and he's been with me so many times. But I believe he celebrates with us too when he sees that child that you dedicated to him serving him in different ways. So all those lessons that that we we go through in that trial with us it was infertility it's not in vain it's not something that god does because he's cruel or because he has nothing else to do or because you haven't been through enough or whatever your your question is he redeems those tears and he he's building these things in you he's building he's enabling you to learn to trust him he's enabling you to to see that when he's he appears so silent it's not that he's silent he's working and he's teaching and he's molding you to get you through that next thing that's going to happen until he gathers us together with him in eternity. Everything that we went through in infertility, I can see so much divine purpose in what he's done to get us through mother and daddy's Alzheimer's, to get us through Lexi's profound illness, to get us through a couple other things. But Jessica would have to book me for about two or three more, ep- more episodes for me to tell you everything. you know. And I know she has other people that she needs to talk to. But the way that he has taught us through infertility, that's just one more reason why I say, God, thank you for that trial. I wouldn't, I would beg you not to take that away from me.
0: It amazes me how many people have gone through a tragedy and then reached the point in their life when they look back and they say that they wouldn't trade it. Not for a moment. And I've heard that for all different stories. And it's, it's pretty incredible. When you when you stop and you think about it, because at a earthly human level, you'd think, well, of course, you'd want to get rid of any suffering. If you could go back and redo it, you would take all the suffering away, right? Well, not necessarily. And we, we talk about this being a podcast of real women with real stories of real hope. And so much of that real hope comes because there was a season of suffering.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, if you ask me then, oh, I would have yes. absolutely <laughs> say, yes. And you know what? And to be honest with you, if I could take away mother and daddy's suffering, I would have. I didn't want to see them go through the, what they went through. And I sure wouldn't have put Lexi through what she went through. But seeing what God's hand has done, you know, It's hard to put into words what you mean, but I didn't want to see them suffer. I didn't. But to see God's hand in it, you know, to see him proving himself faithful and showing you that, you know, you get to the point. I remember especially with mother when she was suffering so bad in her body and in her mind. I remember praying for her and praying for God to heal her body because she hurts so bad all the time. And just, I remember getting to the point, it's another one of those moments where I could take you to the spot where I was. And I'm going to say, but God, even if you don't, even if you don't heal her body, earth side, I trust you with this. And I don't think I could have gotten there without what he taught me in infertility and what he taught me through daddy's Alzheimer's and all the different things that he's walked us through. And it, you know, it gives those struggles that you go through a divine purpose. It's not it's not purposeless, but it's a divine purpose that he puts that he gives you through all these hurts and things. And then he gives you the the responsibility and the privilege to reach out to somebody else who's going through it as well. And that is kind of why Sarah's laughter exists, you know, with the infertility. Mm-hmm.
0: Beth, thank you so much for what you're doing. Thank you for being a conduit for God's work. This is uh, for those of you listening who are local and part of the Calvary Mac family. You've you've heard our pastor talk so much about the difference between being a bucket and being a pipe, and not just being poured into as a bucket where the water just stays stagnant, but being a pipe where that that water from the Lord just flows through you and I really see in your story that turning point when you became a pipe and everything that you learned and everything you experienced and every every bit from God that just flows through you to others, making a difference with this organization. And to think that he used your story not only for something big, uh, even global, right? But he also mm-hmm. used your story for you and your immediate family. Mm-hmm. And it's remarkable how he can do both—that he cares about yeah. something so big and so global, simultaneously caring about something so, so intimate and precious. And and I hope that listeners throughout this story, you've heard, and been encouraged and been reminded of his faithfulness, even in the darkest chapters of suffering. And Beth, we always, we always like to. Close usually actually with a with a couple parts one with any words of encouragement you might have for others and then and then a prayer as well but because you have an entire organization that is encouragement I am going to just encourage you listeners to. Check out Sarah's Laughter if that is something that you think would make a difference in your life or be of a support to you. We will have all of the links in the episode notes, uh, including Beth's book, Baby Hunger. There's also a daily Bible reading plan, and there's just many different resources available for you. And again, also for you, if it's not you who needs it, but someone you love who does, and this might be a way for you to understand uh, your loved one better. So as we wrap up, Beth, I was hoping maybe within your prayer, you could speak some encouragement to those ladies listening who found themselves in your story, that you would pray for them, that they would see God's faithfulness and find that encouragement.
1: Sure. I would be glad to. Father, we thank you for who you are, for your trustworthiness, for your faithfulness to us. God, I thank you for this podcast, and I pray that you bless Jessica for her efforts and what she does to reach out to so many who uh, find encouragement in her words and and the words of her guests. Lord, I pray for each and every woman who listens today who hurts, who wonders where you are and what you must be doing. God, I thank you for your faithfulness to her. Lord, even in those times when we don't know what you're doing, God, when we don't know why you've allowed infertility to be a part of our lives, God, why why our parents suffer with all awesome, God, you know the struggle that it is when we see someone we love suffer, but God, you are faithful god you've shown yourself so strong to me in my journey and god you've never left for a minute god would you remind every heart that hurts that you're there in whatever way it takes to get through to her would you let her know, God, whether that's through a song or through a pastor's words or through an email from a friend, God, would you get through to her today and remind her that you haven't forgotten, that you know her story, that your hand is lovingly writing the chapters of her life. And God, that you are a redeemer of those tears, that you will redeem the tears that she cries over her child, over the person that she's a caregiver for, over that child who is not well or who is a From you, God, you are a redeemer of those tears. Nothing, nothing that you allow is wasted. That God, you'll use those tears, you'll use those prayers that they have prayed, you'll use the hurt and the struggle you'll use those lessons to get us through those next seasons of our lives because, God, you are faithful. You are not an absent father, but you are right there. You are so close. Your word promises us that you are near the brokenhearted, that you're not just near us, God, but that you're busy binding up those wounds those wounds inflicted by the trials that we walk through in this life, God, you are binding them up and you're healing us before we even realize it. God, I thank you that you're faithful and you're true and you're strong and you're mighty and you are for us and not against us. So God, I have to pray for every heart that cries out to you for a baby god i pray that when these babies are conceived that there is no more loss in jesus name god i pray that every wife is a godly mother and every husband a godly father who will teach these children to know you at an early age and god i pray that this world is a different place because these children are in it God, we commit every family to you, every family struggling with infertility. I pray for those around them who, who want to offer support. God, I pray for every family struggling with the heartache of dementia. God, I cannot wait for the day when it is banished forever. God, I pray for any family who has a sick child. and God, I pray healing over their bodies and over their minds and over their emotions. God, isn't it good that we can come to you and bring all these hurts to you, knowing that you are fully capable to take care of us through all these things. God, we commit all these families to you in Jesus name. Amen.
0: Amen. Thank you so much, Beth. I love the I love the line you had there at the end. Isn't it good? And I know there are times when it's hard to see the good in our story chapters, but it is because God is good and he is a good author. And no matter where you are in your story, he is faithful. So thank you for sharing your story, Beth. Thank you for all that that you're doing with Sarah's laughter. And listeners, thank you so much for tuning in to this particular story. We hope you were blessed and encouraged and that you join us next time for our next story. Good night, y'all. The Story Night Podcast, a ministry of Calvary Mac. For more women's stories, visit calvarymac.com slash women.